This morning, we are drawing a series to a close, one that we started this summer that we called Navigating Life. How do I know what God's will is for my life? And we, throughout the series, have talked about two very important principles. The first important principle is that our the decisions that we make need to fall within God's boundaries. And, uh, and another way of saying that would be that we need to live within God's fences. That the clear commands of the New Testament, the principles of the New Testament that we find in God's word provide us with those boundaries. And as long as we align our lives with what God has revealed in his word, we can have confidence that we are walking in his will. The second principle that we found in answering the question, how do I know God's will for my life? The Apostle Paul actually tells us in Ephesians 5, this is God's will for you, that we be Filled by the Holy Spirit. That we allow the Holy Spirit to be in control in our lives. Paul says in Galatians 5 that we not only need to be filled by the Spirit, but walk by the Spirit. Meaning, moment by moment, day by day, we allow the Spirit of God to be in control. So it's not just, I need the Spirit's control on Sunday. We need the Spirit of God to be in control in our lives, moment by moment, day by day. And we noted that if we are aligning our lives with God's revealed will, living with his, within His boundaries, and if we are allowing the Spirit of God to control us, we do not have to fear missing His will for our life. We will be walking in the will of God. Now, having made those two fundamental premise statements, we still attempted to grapple with the question, but how do I make decisions within God's revealed will? And we talked about some important things. For example, if a person was married... That decision making involves more than just one person. That decision making needs to happen within the oneness of the marriage unit. And decisions that are made need to promote oneness within the marriage unit. We talked about the importance of seeking wise counsel. We also noted that as we are navigating life, we need to look for open doors. Not necessarily open doors the way we define them when we talk about this subject, but rather open doors to talk with people about Jesus. And then we also saw from Colossians 3 the importance of seeking the peace of Christ in our lives. That when we're making decisions, we need to be at peace with those decisions and experience the Lord's peace in our lives. Well, having talked about these foundational principles, uh, we then have, the last few weeks, been trying to look at some flesh-on examples of how to put this all together. Three weeks ago, we talked about marriage. And if a person decided to marry, how do they decide 
Who should I marry? Two weeks ago, we talked about work and the importance of a vocation, sensing God's call in our work. Well, today we're going to talk yet once again about a very practical way to apply these principles, and that is the whole idea of buying things. How do I know if it's God's will for me to purchase this or not? And we're going to find that God's word is so practical that the Bible helps give us boundaries even down to the things that we buy. That the Bible is so practical that it helps us navigate life in thinking through, should I buy this or not? And one of the things that we're going to note this morning is that there's a deeper question that each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, that each of us needs to answer. Not just the question, can I buy this? That's oftentimes a, a, a need to look at our budget and, and, and use sound financial planning. It's, there's a deeper question than, can I buy this? And that question is, should I buy this? And that's what we want to grapple with this morning. Not just the idea of can I, but actually the idea of should I purchase this or not. Barbara and I have been married for 34 years, and for about 25 of those years, we used envelopes to take care of our budgeting. And we had, actually this was a pouch that I used for a while from Council Bluff Savings Bank and uh, had envelopes just like these inside of the pouch. One of them uh, would have been labeled food. Uh, one would have been labeled personal care for things like shampoo and soap, things like that. One of them was labeled vacation. Uh, one of them would have been labeled giving. And that actually, if you wanted to think about it this way, would be our our God envelope. And one of the pitfalls in our thinking that sometimes we fall into as Christians is that we, we kind of approach this whole subject of our finances as if we take care of God and we have our God envelope, and we put that and invest that with the Lord, but then in our minds, everything else is ours. So as long as I take care of my God envelope, and I give the Lord a certain percentage of the funds that I have, then everything else is mine to figure out what I want to do with. And the problem with that is that that's not the picture of our finances that we see in Scripture. In reality, in Scripture we see that all the envelopes are God's. That 
every good thing that you have and I have in our lives are from the, all those things are from the Lord. It's all the Lord's. It's all God's. And we need to be seeking Him in all that we do with our finances and not just our God envelope. It worked, this, by the way, the system worked great for us, except one time when we were living in North Dakota and I had just gotten paid and we accidentally threw all of our envelopes away in a gas station and didn't realize it for about a half hour and frantically drove back to the gas station and dug through the trash and we found our envelopes. So all was good, but we don't use that system anymore. We have a different system, but it worked great for me because I don't like having to record everything and it works great. You can just say, hey, we've got 20 bucks left in this envelope. We better slow down. God envelope. In reality, they're all his. And so, as a Christian, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a greater responsibility with our finances than a non-Christian does. Because we are in a position where we recognize that all that we have is has been given to us from the Lord. And so it's important for us as we think about our finances to not just ask the question, can I? But to ask the question, should I? So this morning, in thinking through this whole idea of, should I buy this or not? We want to look at some of those boundaries that we find in the New Testament. Some of those fences that we actually can see in Scripture that will help us navigate through this subject of stuff and buying stuff. And hopefully, this will actually be freeing for us, but also help us see our need to not just put God into one envelope, but rather to recognize that every aspect of this subject needs to be yielded to Him and that we honor Him when we actually pause and ask the question, should I? And not just the question, can I? So to begin looking at those boundaries of Scripture, I invite you to turn in, in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 4. And as we come to First Timothy, we're going to look at some verses in chapter 4 and some verses in chapter 6 that tell us that we don't have to feel guilty about having things. It's not wrong for us to have stuff. In fact, we're going to see that God gives us good things to enjoy. But we also have to be careful that those good things don't become our treasure. Now, I need to give you a little warning. My, my, I have three sons, and this summer we're all together, and they are trying to show me that, Dad, the word treasure, pleasure, and measure, you don't say it right. 
And they have been working with me. I've gone online and I've tried to listen to the proper pronunciation. And it all sounds the same to me. So I, and we did a little experiment and they called my brother and my brother says it the same way that I do. So it must be my parents' fault. So I hope I don't annoy you too much. I'm trying to work on it, but I can't hear the difference. So bear with me, but we're going to talk about a person's treasure today. So here's the deal. We're going to see in the scriptures that God gives us good things and we can enjoy those things and actually enjoy them. We don't have to feel guilty about those things, but we have to be careful that those things don't become our treasure. So let's begin in 1 Timothy 4. Notice with me in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now we look at that and say, now wait a minute. Why would a person actually say, I want to hear teaching from a demon? Well, notice how this teaching is going to come. Verse 2, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So here's what Paul is saying. The closer we get to Jesus' return, there are going to be people who are teaching. And that teaching from those people is actually going to be, it's not going to be truth. That's going to be demonic They're going to be false teachers. And what these false teachers, some of them will do, is try to call Christians to some sort of uh, concept of asceticism. Like, you can't have this, you can't do this, you can't do this. They're going to try to lay their grid on top of the Christian's life. Notice what Paul says, verse 3. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Now, Paul's point is, if God created it, it's good. What God created is good. Now, can people abuse good things? Yeah. People can abuse physical intimacy. People can abuse even food. But Paul's point is, God provides, what God created is good. And we're to be grateful for it. Which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Verse 4, for everything created by God is good. And nothing's to be rejected if it's received with gratitude, for it's sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So Paul is saying there's balance available to us in our lives. As we as we navigate life and stay in God's word, stay in the scripture, and seek wisdom from him and ask him to guide us by prayer, we can actually sort through... All of these issues, even down to practical stuff like, should I buy it or not, and still honor him. And Paul's point is, God gives us good gifts to enjoy. We don't have to feel a level of guilt in having things, even nice things. 
God, there's no place in the scriptures here for us as New Testament believers where God is calling us to live a cloistered life as a, as a monk in a monastery. We don't see that calling on us as New Testament Christians. Now, let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And in 1 Timothy 6, Paul's talking about money again. In fact, in verse 9 of chapter 6, he talks about how dangerous it is to want to get a bunch of money. How dangerous it is to have a passion to be rich. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Notice, Paul does not say that money is the, is the root of all sorts of evil. It's the pursuit of it. It's the love of it. It's the passion for it that is the root of all sorts of evil. So Paul says, don't be pursuing getting rich. Pursue God. Well, then in verse 17, he turns to those who are already rich. It's interesting, before I spent a month in India, I used to read a passage like this and think it's talking about somebody else. I always did. I always thought those rich passages were about somebody else. And then I realized by the world standards... It's talking about us. It's talking about you. Even though we don't consider ourselves to be rich, if we compare our lives to those of the vast majority of the world, this is us. And so when we read these verses, we don't have to think about somebody else. We can think about us. And so Paul says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. That's like thinking, hey... I am financially sound because of my work ethic. I'm financially sound because I've made wise choices. I'm financially sound because I'm a hard worker and God has blessed me. Not acknowledging the fact that the reason I've been able to work hard is because God's given me good health. Or for many of us in this room, the reason why I've worked hard is I had... Uh, parents that taught me the value of hard work. And I live in a place that's enabled me to work hard and be able to uh, have uh, monetary security. So here Paul says, for those who are wealthy, don't be conceited about it. And also it says, or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Our security can't be in our, in our retirement or the redundancy that we've built in for our retirement. If this fails, then I'll go to this. And if this fails, then I'll go to this. It says our certainty needs to rest in the Lord who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And then the apostle Paul goes on in verses 18 and 19 and says, you know what? Take those good things that God has given you and use them. Use them to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for their future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. True life has security in the person of Jesus Christ and not our stuff. So here in 1 Timothy 
chapter 4 and chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is telling us God gives us good things. And we can enjoy those things. He gives us good gifts to enjoy, but we have to be careful that those things don't become our treasure. Now, how does that truth help us answer the question, should I buy this or not? Principle number one, God gives us good things to enjoy. Principle number two, those good things should not become our treasure. So, bottom line, part of us in answering this question, should I buy it or not, we need to sense a freedom before the Lord that He gives us good things to enjoy. We're not called to asceticism. It's okay for us to purchase things. It's okay for us to have things. But... We've got to be careful that those things don't become our treasure. Well, how do I know? We, whenever we're contemplating this subject, whenever we're thinking through, should I buy this? We need to think through that question, should I? And ask ourselves some things like, how important is this to me? Do I find myself... Allowing this to dominate my thinking. Is this where my passion is? Is this so much important, is this so important to me that I find that all of my being is being poured into this thing? And maybe you already have it and you can answer yes to that. I've done this before in my life when something has gotten to become too important to me and I've sold it. Just because it got too important, maybe down the road I can get it again and realize that it's not that big a deal. So that's a question we need to ask. How much of my thinking is this potential purchase, how much is it taking up? Is it dominating me? Am I buying this to dole some pain? Maybe you're going through a difficult time in your life or maybe... You're feeling anxious, anxiety in your life about some things that are happening in your life. And instead of trying to take that to Jesus Christ, instead of uh, pouring your heart out to Him and, and, and saying to Him, Lord, I need you. I need your peace in my life. I need to trust in your good work in my life in this. Instead of doing that, you're just looking to stuff. And it's so easy for us to try to buy something and pour all of our attention into that just to deaden our pain or to give us something else to think about than the stuff that we really need to take to the Lord. And if that's why we're thinking about buying something, it might be better not to. Or maybe we think, hey, if I get this, then people around me are really going to think, Highly of me. Man, if they see that I own this, then that's going to kind of lift me up in the neighborhood or at the office. Or I can ask myself, am I willing to share this with someone else? Am I willing to use this and be generous with other people? You see, ultimately, 
for a Christian, the question is not, can I buy this? It's where we need to start. Does it even fit into my budget? But ultimately, the real question is, should I buy this? And here in 1 Timothy 4 and 6, the Apostle Paul is telling us, God gives us good, God gives us good things. Good things to enjoy. But we can't allow those things to become our treasure. We here at Faith Bible Church have quite a few college students. I don't know how many totally right now, but I'm guessing about 40. And some of those are college students for the very first time this fall. And if you think back, if you went off to college to your first roommate, oftentimes, like in my case, that roommate was assigned to me. Oh, those first roommates can be very interesting. Well, my best friend in college ended up being my brother-in-law. I married his little sister. And my best friend in college had a very unique first roommate. This guy came to college and decided that God was calling him to simplicity. So he packed up all of his clothes except one outfit and a bathrobe and sent them home. He packed up all of his belongings and sent them home. He took all of his books back to the campus bookstore and he all he kept was paper, a pencil, a pencil and a Bible. And then every day after class, he would come home and take off his clothes, put them in the washing machine, and wear his bathrobe until his clothes were dried out, and then he could put them back on. He paid for a meal plan, but every meal, he would get a cup of hot water out of the spigot and bread, and he would roll the bread up and dip the bread in the hot water and eat the hot water, and if he was really feeling like a splurge, he would have a plate of vegetables. Some of our buddies took a piece of white poster board and hung it up on his wall in his room for artwork. That's what college guys do. You see, he felt like it was wrong for him to have anything material. That's not what we see the scriptures say. The scriptures say, hey, God has blessed us. God has given us good things. And we can enjoy those good things that God has given us. But we've got to be very careful that those good things don't become our treasure. Now, let's go back into Jesus' teaching to the book of Matthew. We spent some time this in the spring looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is talking a lot about the kingdom. Remember that Jesus is giving us pictures of what it looks like to be right with God in the Sermon on the Mount. And so what he's doing is giving us pictures of what it looks like to be kingdom people. Remember, Colossians chapter 1 tells us that every person who's put their faith in Jesus Christ has been freed from the kingdom of the domain of darkness in which we now live. And we are now part or members of his kingdom. We are 
kingdom people. The kingdom's not here yet. We're waiting for it. But we are kingdom people. And what Jesus' point is in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 and Luke chapter 19 is we need to have a kingdom mindset. A simple way of saying that is if we think about our envelopes, we realize in a kingdom mindset that they all belong to God. We don't compartmentalize our lives and say, okay, this money, this percentage of my income, that's God's, but then the rest of my life I live how I want to. That's not what we find in the scriptures. What Jesus is teaching is that we are kingdom people and we need to have a kingdom mindset even in practical things like money, how we spend our money. And so when we come to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, we read this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus is calling us to do our spending from a kingdom mindset. That, that there's more for us as a Christian to this life than now. That I'm not supposed to be just trying to make myself happy. That I'm not supposed to be spending my money on just me. That there's, a, there's something bigger for us as a Christian. It's eternity. And Jesus is saying, don't invest in today. Invest in what really counts. Invest in eternity. Invest in the kingdom. Look with me over at Luke chapter 16. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is sharing this truth by way of a parable. And we're not going to unpack the parable this morning in verses 1 through 8. But I want to look at Jesus' conclusion in verse 9. Here's what he says. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you... Into eternal dwellings. So Jesus is saying, hey, take your money and take your stuff and use it to build relationships with people who need Jesus in their life. So it gives you a platform to talk with them about Jesus. So one day you'll take them into eternity with you. Not just your stuff, because that's not going. You see, we are called In this whole question of should I buy this or not buy this, God's boundary is to say, hey, we're kingdom people. We need to think through this question from a kingdom mindset. How would this purchase further the kingdom? This last weekend, uh, Sunday afternoon, Barbara and I went over to Omaha to spend some time with her mom and dad and And her brother and sister-in-law just moved to the Omaha area as well. And on Monday, we decided to go out and just do a little bit of shopping. And I said, let's go over to Whole Foods. We don't have a big grocery store like uh, a store like Whole Foods here in our metro area. And I kind of like to look at their displays and eat their samples. And 
they have great sand. Like if you if they have shrimp being sampled, you get the whole shrimp. I mean, this is no. This is a nice place to eat samples. It's not Sam's Club, and um, and so let's go over to Whole Foods and and you know I'll pick up a couple things on sale. Well, on the way, Barbara says. Well, don't you want to go to Williams-Sonoma? Well, she knows that's my favorite store. But I know that there's something up with that request. And I saw through this veiled act of altruism on her part. And I said, do you really want me to go to Williams-Sonoma, or are you interested in going with your mom to the two clothing stores that are next door? And to which she responded, well, if you were to go to Williams-Sonoma, I might go in there with mom for a few minutes. So this is what how the table was set. But I told her, if I'm going to Williams-Sonoma, you just gave me a free card to buy stuff. So... Went to Williams-Sonoma, and I, I did great. I just bought, I think, five forks off a, cl- off a clearance table because we're empty nesters now, and we don't run our dishwasher as often as we used to, and we're constantly running out of forks. So I bought five forks that were on sale, and then they had 30% off the sale price. It was great. But I love looking around. And I really, I like cookware. And so some of the best cookware that you can get is called All Clad. And there it was, glimmering under the lights of Williams-Sonoma, a beautiful All Clad stockpot, 400 bucks. Now, I didn't buy that, but there it is in all of its shiny glory, this beautiful All Clad stockpot. Now, somebody might buy that stockpot and think to themselves, hey, I can take this home, I can put it up on that little uh, pot holder above our island in the kitchen, and then I can have my friends all come over, and they'll all come over and say, Whoa, look, you've got an all-clad stockpot. Whoa, man, am I jealous of you. Now, some people might do that. I wouldn't ask my buddies to come over and look at a stockpot. They'd laugh at me, but some people might do that. And that would not be the right reason to buy that stockpot, would it? One of the things, we've got tons of new houses being built just south of our house. We used to kind of live in the country, and now we don't. And one of the things we've noticed is that all these families that live in these houses, they never come outside. We go for walks, and it's like you think like there had been a nuclear war because there's no people there's evidence of people, if once in a while you might find a garage door open, there's no people because nobody comes outside. So maybe you say, hey, I am going to get that stock pot and I am going to make 30 quarts of chili. That's too big. Five quarts of chili. And uh, we're going to go around to our neighbors right around us and said, hey, come on over and have chili. Or maybe you get that stock pot and you put it to work and you start making meals for new moms and you look at that stockpot and say, I am going to use this and I'm going to use this to help people. You see, one person could buy that same stockpot for all the wrong reasons and not build into the kingdom. Another person could buy that stockpot with the right heart and say, I'm going to use this and use this and use this and it's got a lifetime warranty and if I wear it out, I'll just get another one. But I'm going to cook for Jesus. 
You see, the question that's before us is not, can I, but should I? Do I, am I viewing this question with a kingdom mindset? Am I using my stuff for kingdom purposes? Well, if, if, if I purchase this, can I use this to strengthen my family? Will it help strengthen my nuclear family? Could, would this purchase help us grow our children closer together? If I make this purchase, can I use it to build up my church family? Are there ways that I can maximize this investment and use it for my church to encourage my church family with it? Well, can I strengthen the body of Christ? Maybe uh, I'm a coffee guy. I love coffee. And uh, I love cappuccinos and lattes. And I could buy an espresso maker for myself. I have a little one. Maybe you decide that uh, you want, you're thinking about getting a new espresso maker. But you're also one of our marriage mentor couples here at Faith Bible Church. You have people in your home all the time. And you think, you know what? Let's get this espresso maker. And when we have a couple come over, let's have some espressos and some pie and some cake and coffee. And we'll use this espresso maker and we'll sit down and we'll have a little lunch together. Coffee and coffee and cake. It's a great lunch. And then, um, then we'll start talking about some of the tough stuff. You see, how can I use this for the kingdom? Maybe you look at your deck at your house and you say, man, this thing's pretty tiny and we never use it. Let's rip it off and build a new deck. And maybe you're in one of those neighborhoods like I just described where no one's even ever outside. You know, you can use that deck for the kingdom. And you can start having your neighbors over. Or maybe you can have your team from the office that never gets together for the office except to go to a bar at 5 o'clock on Friday. And you say, hey, send out and invite your whole team from work and their spouses and their children to come and come to your home and actually have fun that's not at the bar. And to have an opportunity to start building relationships with people. And you can use that deck for the kingdom. You see, we're not going to find book, chapter, and verse that definitively says, should I buy this stock pot or not? But we can find God's boundaries. We can find passages in Timothy that say, you know what? We don't have to feel guilty about having stuff, but we've got to be careful that we don't start worshiping stuff. And we can find passages like Matthew 6 and Luke 16 that remind us that we are to view our lives through a kingdom mindset. That in answering the question, should I? One of the things that we need to evaluate is, can I use this to further the kingdom? Are there ways that I can maximize my investment in answering our question? Ultimately, it's important for us to simply recognize it's all God's. I don't have a God envelope and then everything else is mine to do what I want. And ultimately, in us simply asking the question, Lord, should I do this? 
We are telling him, I need you. And I want to be a good steward of what you've given me. You see, desiring God's will in our purchases calls us to evaluate our purpose for the purchase. Father, we thank you for these verses. And we thank you that you give us very practical parameters in our lives and remind us that we are kingdom people and the reason for us being here is not to have fun or just to make ourselves happy but we have a higher calling and that we are to think through the grid of being kingdom people give us wisdom as we navigate life and we think through these practical aspects, even down to how do I spend my money? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.